is Cup of Care, a podcast series about Canadian family caregivers, their diversity, their roles, their experiences, and what they've learned that might help us each see care in a new way. In this show, we keep things grounded in real experience and remember that those experiences are unique from one person to another. In each episode, we'll meet a new family caregiver and chat with them over a cuppa. Welcome to the Family Caregiving Series. My name is Sibtain. I have just completed my final year of my undergraduate degree in physiology and pharmacology, and I'm trying to pursue a career in healthcare and have a unique interest in the different perspectives of healthcare and what they may look like for different people. And I'm Catherine, but everyone calls me Katie. I'm a PhD student in psychology with many interests focused around people's lived experience of significant transitions. I'm passionate about learning from older adults and their families, be that through my research or volunteer work. Each Cup of Care episode has three segments. First, we'll introduce the topic of the day. Then we'll speak with a family caregiver who will share their story with us. And finally, we'll conclude by reflecting on what we've learned. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Marlene, a retired nurse who is a family caregiver to her father, about her experience of caregiving across miles. Did you know that about 12% of family caregivers in Canada live at about a 60-minute car ride from the person that they provide care for? I know that caregiving over large geographical distance happens, as it did for my family, but I didn't realize that so many family caregivers would have this experience. It can be challenging to be a family caregiver when you live far away and you can't be physically present every day, but that doesn't mean you're less of a caregiver. I definitely agree. Long-distance caregivers provide many of the same supports as people who may live closer. For example, long-distance caregivers can help with managing finances, coordinating people who are providing care, and also providing emotional support through phones or video chatting, which is more common nowadays. Even though long-distance caregivers take on many of the same roles as those who live closer, research suggests that they can experience specific challenges, including feeling out of the loop. It's been suggested that reaching out for information using whatever tools you have at your disposal, for example, video conferencing, can help manage these challenges. It might make it easier to see what's going on. I'm curious to hear about Marlene's experience and what insights she might have to share with us on dealing with them. Welcome, Marlene. I've been looking forward to chatting with you. I want to begin by asking you if you could share a little bit about yourself. I am a retired nurse, which definitely skews my point of view quite a bit. I was the youngest child in my family, and I was the one who lived in the same town as my parents. So I did a lot of the one-on-one with my parents. Um, And my mom has passed away. It's just my dad left now. What has your experience been like as a family caregiver over time? How's it changed as time has gone on? When my mother was ill, I tried to spend part of every day with her. She was very not happy to be in a nursing home and she just needed family presence that was everything to her and my dad did the same he lived in the condo that was attached to her building he came over and spent part of every day and because we were so focused on her we kind of missed the fact that my dad's mental health was declining one day when I stopped in to visit her she grabbed my arm and said Marlene take me to the bathroom right now. Okay. And we got to the washroom. She said, close the door. So I did. My dad was sitting outside the door, strumming on his guitar. 
And she said, I think there's something wrong with your father. He's not remembering things. You need to check this out. And from the other side of the door, we heard, I can hear you. <laughs> Anyhow, that was my first clue that things weren't right with my dad. And as it turns out, he was developing dementia. We went from that to him getting lost several times while he was still driving his car to me having to steal his car keys. It's awful trying to reason with someone who doesn't really know what's going on. And, and giving up your car keys is a big thing to anyone, but to a man especially, that was hard for him. I had to spend part of every day with him after my mom was gone just to keep him orientated to where he was and what time of day it was and whether he should eat. And then we ended up going on a family holiday and there was no one to, to be that angry in his life. So he went into respite care close to where my sister lives, which is a little farther away from me. At the end of the two weeks, he didn't remember living anywhere else. So it was a really abrupt, not thought out plan at all that put him living in a place where he had better care, but not in his own home. You talked about how the change was really abrupt and how giving up car keys can be very difficult for your father. My grandpa had a similar experience with my mom, although she was only there to visit a few times and didn't stay for any long term. Do you think that it was hard for him to accept that change? And how did he eventually come to accept it or did he accept it at all? I don't know that he's ever truly accepted it. Now, if we talk about vehicles, he'll say, well, I don't really need to drive anywhere anymore because they take me wherever I need to go. But at the time, I had to engage in deceit. I was like, you know, Dad, my car's in the garage. I really need to use yours. I'll just take your keys. It worked. As long as he was helping someone out, that seemed to make it a little bit more palatable for him to not have his vehicle. But he was getting lost so much. And I thought, if you can't remember where you're going, can you remember what each of these light signals mean and what the correct sequence is of things to do while you're driving a vehicle that could kill somebody? I was determined. But when I took him to the doctor, they ran some quick tests and they said, well, he's really not that. They were not, they didn't have my back at all. My dad was a minister. That was his career. He did everything by the book. And when he was driving and I was in the car and he did a U-turn at a set of lights. And I said, dad, you can't do that. That's, that's illegal in Saskatchewan. He goes, it's only illegal if they catch you. And I just thought, I don't know who this man is. My minister father, he doesn't say things like that. So little things like that really give you a clue as to where his mind is. What are the main ways that you support your dad? I have power of attorney and I look after all of his financial stuff. I shop for him. Even though I can't take him shopping, I have the best idea what he likes and what he wants. The biggest support he needs, though, is family presence. And so I try to get down to where he is about once a week. It's not easy. It's just over three hours for me to drive down there. My sister does live very close and she sees him close to daily, but it is family presence that orients him and, and gives him stability in his day-to-day -day life. When there hasn't been someone to see him for a while, we've had reports from the assisted living facilities and that he acts out in inappropriate ways that are entirely unlike him. 
when I do go see him, I usually pick him up and we go to my sister's and we share a meal. We play a game of Scrabble. We sing together because he loves to sing and play his guitar. And every time when I take him home, we pull up in front of that building and he says, where are we? This is where you live. This is your home. He goes, I don't know this place. And he doesn't want to go in. And I feel like a big jerk. And as soon as he gets in the door and sees a face that he he's right back to his old self. I think wherever I would take him, he would assume he was home because he was with me. He needs 24-7 attention. He can't be on his own at all. It's a good place. So it seems family is very important for your dad. I was wondering if you could talk about how that sharing of responsibility happens in your family. How do you guys coordinate with each other? Like, is there scheduling? Is there a lot of communication that happens? How do you all work together to care for your dad? It was harder for me than the others, I think, because they hadn't lived close to him. My sister was very much, I'd like to try him in this assisted living facility because it's close to me. And as it turns out, when you go to rural Saskatchewan, the prices are way better. So it fit with his budget a lot better also. It was hard for me to say, yeah, okay, we'll try this. And then when it worked so well and he ended up staying there, that was even harder because I was the one who did everything until then. But we talk on the phone a lot. When I go down to visit my dad, we get together with her. She gets to see him more often than I do, but we still try very much to make joint decisions. We have a brother also, but he lives out of province. The couple times a year that he's able to come and and visit dad, they are significant because it's important, but we can't plan around him because he, he just can't be present nearly as much. If you could go back in time, knowing what you know now, tell yourself things about being a family caregiver. What advice would you have for for your past self? The biggest advice I'd have for myself is to let go of expectations, how you think it's going to play out. Early in my career as a nurse, I had an experience that did direct me down that path. I was working in a long-term care home and there was a lovely, lovely, sweet lady with dementia that we all adored. She was special. She was wonderful. And when her family would come to visit her, They didn't have a good time. They would leave crying every time. And it just made me so angry that they couldn't appreciate her for who she was. But now that I see my dad, not the person he used to be, I can appreciate what they felt. It was a good kick in my butt, though, that I will not do that. I do not ever want him to feel bad for where he's at now. The first time I saw my dad after they had been locked down for a couple of months, he had been sitting in the common area and I was just picking him up, so I wasn't coming into the building. I'm standing at the doorway watching him, and a staff member went to get him because he was waiting for me. And he got up, and he didn't straighten all the way up. And my dad has always had very good posture. And he kind of shuffled over to me, and I just thought, how did you get old in two months? Like, how did that happen? But, yeah, big changes happen that you're not expect, And it really kind of takes the wind out of your sails. You just think, I don't know how to proceed. This was not supposed to happen. One of the many processes that happens um, over your lifetime is change. And I know from personal experience, I'm very different from what I used to be four years ago. Do you think you could speak about why this was more difficult than other times in your life that people might change? That's a really loaded question. And I think part of it is that 
I have to recognize I'm aging too. And watching him, all of the changes that I see in him now are decline. He's never getting stronger, getting better, getting faster. It's all losses to him. And, and it's hard to see loss in somebody that you love. Because of the dementia that he has, he doesn't even remember who he was, really. If I want to see who he was, you have to ask him to say grace or something like that, that as a minister, if you put him in the role of praying, oh, he can pray. He, he turns on that other person that he used to be, and, but then it's gone, you know, after, after he's done that. But you realize if this can happen to my father, who was so big and such an important part of my life for so long, this is going to happen to me. This is happening to the people I love that eventually we are going to decline. And it's, it's hard to see decline, but it's particularly hard to see decline when you can't be there as much as you want to be to be with them and um, be their support. Do you see any benefits and challenges to being in the position you're in where you are retired? And does that impact how you interact as a family caregiver? Hugely. I was working through the whole time that my mom was in care and finding the time to be there and to be present was hard. I have more time now. And sometimes I really struggle with the whole, like, why don't I bring him home? And my husband would come and go, he could go to work. And, but then I realized that wouldn't be fair to my siblings. I do have kids and grandkids. I couldn't leave him here for two hours while I went to the city and did the grocery shopping. I don't know that I could be the 24-7 care that someone with dementia needs out here on an acreage. And yet, I kind of want to be. And yet, that's not fair to my siblings either. My sister wants more time with him. And my brother would have loved to have taken him home. He tried. He, <laughs> it didn't work. All of us would love to be more for my dad than we can be. So obviously you've been a professional for many years. You're a mother, you're a sister, you're a daughter. How are you able to balance all of those different responsibilities and roles that you may have in your life to being a caregiver? Is there a way to find a balance? That's a good question. I spend one day every week just traveling down to spend time with my dad. And when others in my family get resentful of that, oh, you're gone all day again, I struggle not to be irritated with them for being irritated with me. When you're not as close to the situation, you don't understand how important it is. The grandkids, a great grandpa or a grandpa is somebody you see occasionally. It's not somebody that you spend time with every day. I think the only way to, to balance it is I tell them stories. I tell them what we did. I tell them stories about grandpa and try and keep him fresh and alive and current in their minds so that they don't forget. He's still here. He's just down there. Uh, he's still important. I use my camera a lot. I take pictures so that they don't forget. He's still among us. He's still important. In the summer, when I was down to visit my dad, and I had picked him up and gone to my sister's, and her son was harvesting, and he stopped, and we walked out, and dad was able to climb up and do a round on the combine with my nephew. He just lit up like a Christmas tree and he scampered up those stairs. He's old. You could just see it all over his face, how much he just loved that in the moment experience. 
And the next time I went down, I was showing him pictures of it. He goes, that's me? I don't remember that. Like, he had no clue that this had happened. And yet the, the look on his face in that moment is worth everything. So if I can share those moments with my kids and their kids, and they can see he is still important and he's still a human who loves and is loved and who cares about things and who wants to experience things, I think that's how I can um, maintain my own personal balance. I'm curious about your experience of using technology to connect with your dad. We have a standing date every Thursday from 1.30 to 2.30. We visit on Zoom. I can almost script out exactly how every call is going to go. It starts with, so I have a funny question. Where's mama? And we explain to him that almost four years ago, she passed away. She's in heaven now. Oh, okay. And where are you? <laughs> and so then we each have to go through where we are and what room in our house we're sitting in and where that picture was. You know, like he orientates himself completely. And then we generally try and bring up a memory to so get him talking about the past because that's where he comes alive. Sometimes it happens that something's going on and the siblings get talking and dad just gets quiet and he kind of slumps in his chair. And then I'll feel bad and I say, So, dad, I'm sorry about that. What were you thinking? He goes, I just like sitting here and listening to you guys talk. And so even though we feel like we've left him out, he's still enjoying it. It's all important to him. Sometimes my dad's picture and my brother's picture are side by side. And I think, oh my goodness, my brother is turning into my dad. It's so good. And sometimes he looks at one of the girls and says, you look so much like your mama. <laughs> I can't quite comprehend the loss we would have. We didn't have those times where we can see each other and visit. And even though dad can't comprehend how we're actually doing this, and it just amazes him every single time, he loves it. He loves it. He appreciates it. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Much as I love the technology, and it is huge, nothing replaces hugging my dad. I don't think it replaces it for him either. I think physical touch with people we love is so important. Funny little story. When my mom was sick, my dad said, everybody has a cell phone, but I don't have a cell phone and I, uh, I'm never home to answer the phone. How would people get a hold of me? So I went and bought him a cell phone because this is important. And this is before I realized he was declining at all. We practiced and practiced and practiced and he never ever achieved the ability to make a call or accept a call. <laughs> on that cell phone, but he still carries it. Did you find that your relationship with your siblings changed or evolved through this? Actually, it really did. Over the normal course of life, we didn't talk all of that often. We would like to think that we stayed close, but often it could go months without me having a conversation with my siblings. And with actually meeting once a week to visit with my dad, we have become closer. We have figured out how to communicate with each other better. We have figured out how to look past our differences and be more accepting of each other. And we've become closer, all because we want to all spend time with our dad, which is a good thing. I really enjoyed your story. I think some of the stuff that you shared, I can relate to a lot. Thank you for your story and thank you for sharing. Thanks so much for sharing your story, Marlene. You're welcome. So much you can't do, but we can tell our stories. And if we can help each other, I think we should. 
Subtain, what are your thoughts about our discussion today? I have many thoughts, but I'll try to be brief. I related, like I said, a lot to Marlene's story of, you know, working together as a family. You have siblings, you have parents, and you're all kind of trying to work together to figure out what's best for everybody while keeping everybody's um, interests in mind too. And as an older sibling, I do see myself probably taking on a larger role in caring for my parents when they do eventually reach that age and when I reach that age too. And so just learning that change is a natural part of life. And especially as you get older and when you start seeing someone you care about change over time, but they're still that same person, that same person that you love, that same person you want to care for. But I think your approach just changes over time. And I think that's not an easy transition, but something that I think we have to be prepared for. And why I think listening to people's story like Marlene just did today is so valuable and so important because I think there's a lot of things to learn from. I find myself reflecting back and thinking again about that technology and how technology is influencing basically everything that we do right now. And thinking thinking about how technology can help to bridge that gap, but it's not necessarily a substitute for being physically present. I think that that's kind of an important thing to recognize. And for many people, even if the geographic distance is significant, they are still very interested in being physically present as much as possible. I really start to think about what's the balance going to be as generations of people who are more tech savvy end up requiring higher levels of care and we continue to be spread out amongst the world. What is the role of technology? And I'm not sure we've quite figured that out yet. I think you make really good points. Technology is definitely being integrated into our lives more and more. When I'm 70 or 80 years old and I need help from my kids, I will probably still to some degree understand how to use technology, things like Zoom, video conferencing. I might just prefer if they can't be there physically present with me all the time, maybe I just want to have a video chat instead. I think technology is being integrated more and more into what a normal lifestyle looks like. The impact of listening to people's unique stories is really the whole purpose of this Cup of Care series. During our next episode, Katie and I will be sitting down with another family caregiver to learn their story. And we promise you it won't be quite like anything else you've heard before. Well, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. And if you're a family caregiver, thanks for all the work you do and for taking time to be with us today. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts or watch for these and other resources at appliedinterprofessionalresearch.com and www.spaltc.ca. This series is produced in collaboration with creative partners from the Strengthening of Palliative Approach and Long-Term Care Team and Saskatchewan Long-Term Care Network. Advisory support for this project was provided by Dr. Natasha Hubbard-Murdoch from Saskatchewan Polytechnic and Dr. Paulette Hunter from St. Thomas Brown College. Technical support was provided by Media Production Specialist Greg Olson from Audio Visual Services at Saskatchewan Polytechnic. In addition to Saskatchewan Polytechnic's financial contribution, production of this podcast has been made possible through a financial contribution from Health Canada. The views expressed herein do not necessarily represent the views of Health Canada. Lastly, as with many things in life, 
This project would not have been possible without the direct contribution of family caregivers.